0: Marla and I'm a partner here at Mercy View. Um, tonight I'm reading from 2nd Timothy 4 1 through 4 and then we'll have another passage. as well. Mm-hmm. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And our second pas- passage this evening um, is Hebrews 4:11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account this is the word of the lord
1: the late great uh, w.a chriswell he was a pastor Uh, in the Dallas area, once said this. When a man goes to church, he often hears a preacher in the pulpit rehash everything that he has read in the editorials, that he's read in the newspapers, and the magazines. On the TV commentaries, he has heard, and he repeats that in the sermon, the same things over and over again. And then he goes out and plays golf on Sunday. When a man comes to church, actually, what he is saying, a man or a woman comes to church, he is saying to the preacher this, preacher, I know what the TV commentator has to say. I hear him every day. I know what the newspaper editorial writer has to say. I read it every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I read them every week. And for our context, he didn't say this, but I know what people on the internet have to say. I read it every day. Preacher, what I want to know is this. Does God have anything to say to me? And if God has anything to say, would you tell us what it is? I'm curious if that is your heart, as you come into gathered worship, is that what you want when you come to hear preaching at Mercy View? Or as you just heard read, if, if you were honest, this is what Marla read, do you come to worship with itching ears? Maybe you desire to hear what you want to hear, not what is all that is being read or said or preached. Or maybe even outside of this time in gathered worship, looking elsewhere, as Paul says, to accumulate for yourself teachers to suit your own passions. What is preaching? What is the point of preaching? Preaching is a very peculiar act. 30 to 40 minutes typically is what we spend here doing this each week preachers and stand-up comedians are really the two groups of people in our culture today that do this very peculiar thing that I'm doing right now in preaching though if if god has something to say to us how does it come to us in preaching tonight we are continuing our summer series here at mercy view called by the book scriptures as worship center. And in that name, as we've said each week, you get a a sense of, of, of what is at the very heart of this series. We are desiring when we gather together in worship to see the word of God, the scriptures, to be at the very center of all that we do. And we've looked at a few of those ideas already this summer, confessing the word. We've talked about reading the word. Last week we talked about singing the word. And tonight we are looking at preaching the word. Now, this feels a little bit like the movie Inception to me tonight because I'm preaching a sermon about preaching, but this is tonight going to be truly I hope we're practicing literally what we preach. An exposition of a couple of passages that we get we see get right at the very heart of what should be happening when we preach the word of God in this time. So as we do that tonight, I want to invite you to see two things. The first is this Christ is the center of the word in our preaching. Let me just say that again. Christ is the center of our word, of the word, excuse me, in our preaching. And then secondly, this. Rest is the result of the word in our preaching. Rest is the result of the word in our preaching. So if you have your Bibles, keep them open to that first passage that you heard Marla read. They're in 2 Timothy here we find Paul continuing to encourage his ministry apprentice a man by the name of, of Timothy. In fact, 1st and 2nd Timothy in the New Testament are Paul's words of encouragement of challenge to his mentee Timothy. See Paul recognized that there was great value in continuing to develop his apprentice Timothy to become a more effective minister of the gospel. And so he carefully selected Timothy to not only work with him in the ministry, but to be someone that he was going to continue to equip for ministry when they weren't necessarily together in the same place. And today's passage in 2 Timothy is no exce- exception. Let me read for us, beginning there again, in uh, 2 Timothy 4, uh, verse 1. This is, this is what uh, Paul is, is wanting to say to Timothy here. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. I charge you in the presence of God, who is to, I'm sorry, I think I doubled up here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. That's where I want to stop. Now, don't miss this. I don't know of any biblical command in the New Testament that gets this kind of an introduction. Paul is getting ready to say to his apprentice, Timothy, what he is going to charge him with. But here is the setup. He's using very serious language. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Pastor Timothy, I require you to do something because God is watching. I may soon be gone from this world, but he will not. In fact, 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote, he would later pass. So this, this is some of his last words to, 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 to really anyone. But then, then Paul goes on to say this, I charge you in the presence of not only God, but Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul is saying this, Pastor Timothy, take this charge that I'm about to give you with real seriousness there is a soberness by which you should be receiving this directive because Jesus himself will judge you. In other words, he will hold you accountable, Pastor Timothy, because when he comes back, as he establishes his eternal kingdom, he will hold preachers and teachers to an account. Now, again, this is just the lead-in to the charge, to the command. Paul is saying, whatever else you might miss, Pastor Timothy, don't miss that. The stakes could not be any higher. This is, in a lot of ways, the emotional high of this letter. And you could even argue that this is the pinnacle of Paul's whole relationship with Timothy. 2 Timothy is Paul's last recorded words. So what is the charge that Paul gives to his apprentice? Look with me at verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We're going to look at most of verse 2 here in just a moment, but this responsibility, this burden, this Duty that that Paul is giving to Timothy here is really found in those first three words of verse 2. Look there. He says, Preach the word. When the word preach pops up here in this book, it it means to proclaim or to herald something. Think of it this way before there was radio or, or newspapers or the internet, how did the news travel? Well, you had something called a town crier. Someone would stand up in the street and ring a bell or make a noise and raise up his or her voice and say, hear ye, hear ye, right? That word picture is what is meant to be communicated by the word preach. It means to lift up one's voice and broadcast something. And Paul says it is to preach the word. Now, in Paul's letters, the word preach, the phrase, the word typically means the word about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the word of the gospel. So Paul is saying this to pastor Timothy, pastor Timothy, don't stop proclaiming the gospel. Don't stop heralding Christ. This is how we tell others what God has to say in preaching is what Paul says here. Preaching is is heralding the good news. And so Paul is saying to his brother, don't stop doing that. Now look with me, if you would, at the next piece of verse 2. Paul says, as you preach the word to be ready in season and out of season, to preach this word both in season and out of season. In other words, the preaching ministry of a local church It means that we are attempting to declare the full counsel and breadth of the scriptures and and that is gonna be difficult at times because of the surrounding culture sometimes even the the culture inside of a church and I, I feel this command deeply in my own spirit as I I see it again even here tonight there have been times in my own life when I have felt personally discouraged Or I'm just tired and fatigued. Or maybe I'm coming across a passage or or a verse or a claim that is super weighty and I know might ruffle some feathers here. And here is the temptation. The temptation is to smooth off the rough edges or the teeth of that truth. But I have been and I continue to be convicted by Paul's words here I am, those that preach here at Mercy View have been given the call to to give to you the plain teaching of Scripture, especially when it comes to difficult passages. Who am I to round off the the edges of something that God has made straight? And Paul goes on in verse 2 to say there are really three things that happen. As you preach, and as as someone stands up here from this space and, and preaches the word, these aren't the only three things we could ever say about what happens through the work of preaching, but is for sure no less than these things. Paul basically gives three words for what kinds of voices that Pastor Timothy should have as he heralds the scriptures. What does he say? He says that in the preaching that happens in a local church, it should reprove, it should rebuke, and it should exhort. Now, the word rebuke here in verse 2 seems to overlap with reprove a little bit. But I think Paul may be saying this. There is a difference between the two. Rebuke is probably a, a stronger, more confrontational word. Whereas to reprove is, is a more corrective word. Again, very similar. But in other words, in our preaching, there will be times for blunt and straightforward and frank conversation because of what's in the Bible. Not because I'm desiring to be that or, or, or wanting to be that, but just the, the word itself is confronting us. And then there will be times like you'll be sitting there and, and you'll hear the word of God being preached and you're feeling like you're being set straight in the, in the good way, in the, in the right way. You're being corrected. And and, and that particular approach, whether it's rebuke, whether it's uh, reproving, I think actually gives verses 3 and 4 its context. Why do I say that? That kind of preaching, the kind of preaching that is willing to appropriately and carefully rebuke and reprove is helpful because Paul says there is a time coming when people will, will not endure sound teaching. And they'll actually turn away from listening to the truth. So this is what I mean. Rebuking and reproving are like a dam holding back the waters of untruth. Now, there is a third word here, the word exhort, which is a very um, interesting way of saying this. Uh, In your preaching, Pastor Timothy, you also need to strongly encourage your people. To exhort is very different from rebuking or reproving. To exhort means to come alongside someone and to call them up to something, but in a gracious way. In fact, I think it's important to see that in the same breath here, Paul is saying you might need to both rebuke and reprove and exhort in a sermon. It's not one over the other, and here's why I say that some preachers want to be known as the confrontational pastor but it is also true to say that there are others who want to be known as the encouraging pastor paul is saying that some moments call for one or the other or both in the same sermon sometimes the great uh, reformer john calvin once said that preachers need two voices one to wound and the other to heal In the Psalms, we see that it says that a a wound from a friend is is a good thing. It's a blessed thing. Preaching in the local church should include both that that loving truth, but also the hope that's found in the gospel. One to wound, one to heal. Because the scriptures use both of those things. Now look with me, if you would, at the last part of verse 2. Paul says, To preach this rebuking, reproving, encouraging word to others, we should do that as we preach with complete patience and teaching. In another place, in 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 25, Paul says this The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And correcting his opponents with gentleness. Here's what Paul is saying. To stand in this space, to preach the sacred word of God, it is not just about outward gifting. It is not just about a a charismatic ability to keep your attention. Listen, to teach and to preach is a weighty matter because it's also about the heart of the preacher. Good teachers and preachers see possibilities in people. They aren't just disseminating information. They wanna give hope to the people they're preaching to because they know to tell them what God has to say is what gives real hope. This brings me to the first thing I wanna invite you to see this evening. Christ is the center of the word in our preaching. What gives people hope is Christ. And so, if Christ is at the very center of of the word in our preaching, we are giving people what they actually want and need. There's probably no more important passage uh, on preaching than 1 Corinthians 2. We didn't read this earlier, but listen to this, beginning in verse 1. You don't have to turn there, but just let me read this. And I, when I came to you, this is Paul speaking, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul is saying in this work of preaching that that happens in gathered worship, the whole point is so that your faith may not rest in how smart and wise I am, because I'm not, but the power of God through His Spirit. Now, at the time that Paul was writing this, the only scripture that there was to preach from was what was the Old Testament. But even in preaching those texts, don't miss this, Paul was saying, I know nothing but Jesus, who, by the way, did not appear by name in any of those texts. How could that be? Paul understood something about the Word of God, he understood that all of Scripture ultimately points to Jesus and his salvation. That every prophet, every priest and king in the Old Testament was shedding light on the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. So Paul knew that to present the Bible in its fullness was to preach Christ as the main theme and substance of the Bible's entire message. We just sang it in the song, um, How Deep the Father's Love. I, this is Paul saying this too. I will not boast in anything, Right? But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Here at Mercy View, that is our belief too. Wherever we go in the Bible, as we preach, we want Jesus to be the main subject. We haven't preached a text here unless we've preached about Jesus. And Paul says it is preached in a certain way. He said, I didn't come with eloquence, I didn't come with human wisdom. He's saying, I think preaching can be used in a manipulative way if used wrongly. And when that happens, the preaching or the sermon is really not about Christ, it's about the preacher. But he says here in this passage that if Christ and him crucified is front and center, and this is our heartbeat here at Mercy View, you are getting an opportunity to hear the testimony about God. And what that testimony is, what God is testifying to, is the all-sufficiency of Jesus. And it says in this passage, it comes through the demonstration of the Spirit's power. In other words, the Spirit's job, as the preaching goes forth, it's like a floodlight, not to point to Himself even, but to show us the glory and beauty of Christ. This is the Godhead working mysteriously in this act of preaching. But we here at Mercy View believe that only happens when Christ is the center of the word in our preaching. Now I wanna hit another theme here before we are done tonight. If you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter four, beginning in verse 12. Also a passage you heard Marla read earlier. And the first thing I want to invite you to see as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. It's actually the first part of verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says this, For the word of God is living and active. We said this earlier, when we see the phrase, the word of God, we are saying that in the Bible, in the actual language that we are looking at and reading or listening to, we have God's spoken word to us. You heard Corbin say this a few weeks ago as we talked about the importance of of reading the word of God in gathered worship, hearing the word of God in gathered worship. When we read the scriptures, when we preach from the scriptures, we are getting a glimpse into the mind of God. But more than that, this book is what the Holy Spirit is wanting to say to us right here, right now. And Paul says that this word is living and active. That's what that means, right? It means it's, it's at work right now, it's alive. It's not a, a dead book that we pull off the, the shelves of a library somewhere. The Bible is the word of God and what the Bible says, God says because God is alive. And God is actually speaking through this book in such a way that to receive and listen to the words of this book is one of the greatest gifts that you and I could ever receive. It is to receive and to listen to God himself. I think this is one of the most challenging things for Christians today, like to get deep into their, their, their spirits, their souls. There is a supernatural nowness that God intends to get his gospel into our lives through the work of Preaching. As we hear the word of God preached in a sermon, it is animated by the spirit of God. And and for example, when you trust in a promise that you find in the scriptures or you hear a promise preached and you say, I believe that, you are trusting in a God who is here now, who is near. He stands behind his word right now. How amazing is that? So what does that have to do with preaching? Well... When we preach, we believe that speaking and explaining the text of Scripture is speaking and explaining what God himself is saying. What a weighty responsibility, but an awesome opportunity. The preaching that we do here at Mercy View is meant to deliver to you the Word of God that is right now living and active I have no desire to give you my thoughts or advice about life, about your walk with the Lord. I am merely a messenger. And what this book says, what the Bible says, is what God is saying. And Paul says that this word is like a sword. What an image, right? Now, in the original languages, the word for sword or knife is... Is used in a lot of different ways and in some cases it could mean a big sword for judgment But in other cases it, it, it means a small dagger or a, or a, even a scalpel and I actually think as we read what this writer of Hebrews has to say about this year I actually think that is the image that he has in mind Right, It's it's something that pierces or penetrates the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. That sounds like a, a small knife or a scalpel to me because there is some meticulous cutting that needs to happen. In other words, here's what I think Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the word, and I'm connecting it to the word in preaching, is like spiritual surgery. The scalpel that is the word of God can, as Paul goes on to say here, to cut into the innermost parts of who we are. That's why sometimes as you hear the word of God in preaching and you receive it, it's uncomfortable. Has anybody ever had a really comfortable surgery? No. The word of God can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart, just like a scalpel can in surgery. But in the preaching of the word, there is spiritual surgery that God intends to do. And the point is this, the word of God reaches our hearts in ways that nothing else can. And that is good to know, because if you remember, our hearts are a problem. In fact, in the previous chapter in this book of Hebrews, chapter three, It says that Israel fell away from God, and the reason they did not believe is because they went astray in their hearts. In fact, in verse 11 that you did hear read, it said it was because of their disobedience. Where did that come from? From their hearts. It is a hardened heart that leads to unbelief. So if we're going to end up differently than that, if we're going to believe, then we need to believe something or better someone to work on our hearts. We need someone to pierce through, to cut through the hardness and layers and complexity of our hearts. We're going to need spiritual heart surgery. Now look with, you, with me, if you would, actually, at verse 11 in Hebrews 4 that you heard Marla read. Let me just read that again for us. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Again, Paul is talking about the Israelites here. They had fallen through disobedience, and this prevented them from something that the Lord deeply desired for them, something called rest. Now, the picture of that rest in the Old Testament was something called the promised land. But what was at the heart of the promised land? Was not this great place where they would have all this stuff, But rather, it was a place that they could rest in the Lord. And this actually brings me to the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Rest is the result, the desired result, of the word in our preaching. Rest is the result of the word in our preaching. At least that is our hope. That is our aim Paul is showing us something profound about the word of God here. And he, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews is showing us something profound about the word of God. And again, for the sake of our time today, the word of God in our preaching. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, don't be like the Israelites. Don't, don't be like them who did not enter the rest of the promised land. Don't repeat that pattern. The writer doesn't leave them there. He tells them what the key is there in verse 12. He says, rest is found in the word of God. Great rest is available as we rest on and in the word of God. And that comes through preaching. That comes through meditating on the word, memorizing scripture, just listening to the scripture being read. But in light of what we're talking about tonight, if rest is not found in the word of God through preaching, we are off course. Why? Why? because of what we said first. Christ is found in the word. Christ is the only one who can give us real hope, real peace, real freedom, forgiveness, joy. Where do we learn of Christ? In his word. Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30 says it this way. You know this verse well. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus speaking. Friends, you and I live in a world that is filled with burdens. And as we come together in gathered worship, walk through various elements of this, including what we're doing right now. The invitation that God is extending to us is to come to him. To experience this passage that we just read in Matthew 11. When I preach, when I have the privilege of preaching to you, I I know I speak for Trey and Corbin and others who will stand in this space. We desire for you in and through the act of preaching to come to Jesus, to make the choice to draw near to him because he is the source of true rest. Now, doing that, following Christ in that way, doesn't mean that your situation will change necessarily, but it does mean that you are being changed in the midst of your circumstance, and don't miss who is qualified to come near to Christ, all those who labor and are heavy laden. That's everybody here. Jesus doesn't reveal in this particular passage what wearies or burdens you might be carrying. He just simply says those that labor and are heavy laden. Those those things could be negative things. Those things could be, be positive things, just Burdens are a part of the Genesis 3 world that we live in. But as you come under the preaching of the word of God, we want to encourage you to lay those things down and to take up the yoke of the Lord and to find rest. See, when we take up the yoke of the Lord and we begin to learn from him, we find that Jesus gives purpose and direction. He is guiding us. Right? He is showing us where to go, but he also helps with pulling the load. We cannot do what he wants done apart from him, and frankly, the reason why you and I are so tired and exhausted in life is because we're trying to do it on our own. When we join Jesus in his work, one of the ways we join Jesus in his work is by receiving his word through the the work of preaching we find that we are enabled to do the work because we're finding rest. This passage also says that we are to learn from Jesus. How can we keep from creating new burdens in our life? Well, we can learn from Christ, both here in our mind but also in our heart. Up here, we can get his word into our our, our minds and and see who he reveals himself to be. That happens, again, through preaching, but it could happen just through your own work in the word with God. But also, it leads to an understanding of, of who God actually is to you as well, experientially because you're applying the truth of Scripture to your daily lives under the preaching of the Word of God and in and, and other ways, and, and you're then living in light of Christ's revelation of himself. And this is the good news. In the midst of that learning process, we have the encouragement to know that Christ is both gentle and humble with us. In the same way that a pre- the preacher is called to be patient, and humble with his people as he preaches to them, bringing uh, the, the, the gospel to them and knowing that we're all works in progress, so, do, so also does Christ. He has great patience with all those who come to him. And so every time that we preach, our desire here at Mercy View is to present Christ as the one who is the true and only source of rest. No matter what the text may be, no matter what we may come to next week or in a month or in a year or five, 10 years from now, our heart is to lift up the name of Jesus before you and to bid you to come. Because it's only by coming closer to Christ that the burden can find rest for their souls. Friends, God has something to say. And in the work of preaching, God has this to say to all of us, including me, come to me. Rest is and should be the result of the word in our preaching. Let's pray together.